Our scripture readings this morning are from uh, Psalm 34, 8 through 10, and Romans 8, 31 and 32. Let's hear the word of God. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then in Romans 8 verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? May God bless the reading of his word. This fall has turned out to be the autumn of our car's discontent. Or more accurately, their disrepair. One by one, they keep breaking down and we keep taking them to the shop. And I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but at the present time, we actually have at our house five cars. Five. Five old cars. The average age of these cars is 17 years old. Three of them have more than 250,000 miles on them. And our 1992 Ford Taurus, which both of our children drove while they were in college, has over 300,000 miles. I think Ford ought to be in touch with me about doing a commercial for them. Because I can assure you that when they designed the Ford Taurus, it was never intended to get 300,000 miles. So, if... You're here today and you're looking for a good car. Don't talk to me. But if you're looking for a bad car, I've got one or two I would like to unload. The reason two almost empty nesters ended up with five cars requires a little bit of explanation. Uh, Of course, Lisa and I both have cars because we have places to go and jobs. And this past spring, our 27-year-old daughter, Amy, and Her car came to uh, live with us. And then in May, our son Brian graduated from Sanford. And he and his car, or what was left of it, uh, came to live with us. And uh, so, uh, aside from trying to find a place to park all of these old cars, we had one last summer together as a family. We, we called it the unexpected summer because we never thought that the four of us in our little nuclear family would live together again in a house uh, one last time. And I wouldn't trade it for the whole world. But then our son left in August to go to Boston to do City Year, which is a service project there. And uh, he left the old Taurus behind. He said he could get by just fine in Boston uh, on their subway system, the T. 
and uh, that uh, there really wasn't any place to park a car up there anyway. And then, as you know, uh, my mother was declining all summer long, and in August, uh, just a few weeks before she passed away, when she knew that she was never going to drive again, she said, I want to sign my car over to you, Jim. And uh, so that's how we ended up with five cars, at least for a short time. Now, you would think that that would be enough to get three people around wherever they need to go, but by September, one by one, our cars started breaking down. So at one point, we only had two cars that were running and three drivers that needed to get places. Right now, we have two and a half cars running. And you say, well, what's this about a half a car? That's a car that works about half the time. And, uh, you know, but when you're desperate, you know, you get in a car like that. And so Amy was driving that car to her class up at Covenant, which meets at night. She's enrolled in the Master of Teaching program at, up at Covenant. And, and she, she got up the mountain and she called and she said, Dad, I'm having a lot of trouble with the car. It keeps dying and I don't know what to do. I made it to my class, but I, I, I don't know what to do. And I thought about it a minute. I thought about that car going down the mountain. And uh, and the engine cutting off and the power brakes, you know, losing the power brakes where, you know, it pretty much takes, you know, a 250-pound football player to put the brakes on a car going down a mountain when you lose your power brakes. And I said, whatever you do, don't drive the car down the mountain. I'm going to come up there and, uh, and uh, see what I can do. And, of course... Our AAA had just run out because it was AAA of the Carolinas, and we haven't switched over to AAA of whatever Tennessee is. And so uh, I was reluctant to call and pay for a tow. So I went up there, and it was night, and, you know, I had one of those moments you have as a father, please don't ever do what I'm about to do, but I'm going to try to drive this car down the mountain. Let me see what it does in the parking lot. Okay. Seems to be working. I've got my cell phone on. Amy's in the chase car behind me, one of the good cars. And uh, I said, let's, let's just see how it does. And I'm going to try to get down to the Methodist church. And if it's still running by the time I get to the Methodist church, which is the last good place to stop, uh, you know, then I think I may go all the way. But if, if it if it's, you know, dies there, then we'll park it at the Methodist church and I'll get it towed. Well, we, we made it down to the Methodist church. And the minute I saw the Methodist church, you know, the car... You know, it's, it's running real rough. It's wanting to die. But, but it recovered. And I'm just really not wanting to pay for a tow. I'm really wanting to get this car down the mountain. I said, I, I think I'm going to try it, Amy. I'm going to see if we can get down the mountain. And I'm thinking I could put on the brakes, which I'm not sure I could have. So we go down the mountain, you know, and, we, and, and, and I start down the mountain. And, and, you know, to my amazement, you know, the car is just doing great. And I'm just, you know, turn after turn and hill you know decline after decline we're getting down the mountain now thinking praise the lord this is great this is great get down to the bottom of the light to the red mountain at the red light there on st elmo avenue car dies started the car back up again it made it across to mr t's pizza and i pulled into the parking lot there car dies and i called lisa and i said god is good i made it down the mountain And, you know, that's just a silly story about uh, 
about getting an old car down the mountain, but we say, God is good, God is good. I've been watching uh, and following and praying uh, about uh, a little girl who was in the hospital and she uh, had uh, was very sick and uh, had surgery and she got home and she's doing well and uh, the last thing that I got, the last line of the latest report is, God is so good. God is so good. You know, we say that a lot when things are going well. We say, God is good. God is good. And in some churches, it's almost a, a kind of liturgical chant. You know what I'm talking about. The pastor will say, God is good. And the people say what? All the time. And then the pastor will say, all the time. And the people say what? God is good. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk about the goodness of God. Now, you could have a very academic and philosophical sermon on the goodness of God, but I'm going to leave that to someone else. I believe that assurance in the goodness of God is absolutely vital to our walk as Christians. So this morning, I want to touch on four important principles about the goodness of God and then try to make four applications for our daily lives. Uh, Four principles, and the first of them is because God is good, he is always completely righteous, faithful, and just. He's always completely righteous, faithful, and just. And that's so important because if we think that God is like, you know, one of the gods of Greek mythology uh, where they are capricious and they and they mess with you, they mess with you and and, and they don't have uh, a pure moral character. They kind of play with people. Then we're not going to we're not going to want to follow God. We're going to be in a heap of trouble is what we're going to be in. But that's not the way God is. And you can see it, first of all, in the creation. When God made the world, every day that he created, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And when he finished his creation and he created man as the pinnacle of his creation, and he looked over the whole thing and he said, it's very good. You know why the creation was very good? Because God made it. And God is good and righteous and just. And so Abraham said to God in Genesis 18:25, far be it from you to do such a thing, to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah if there were still some righteous people there, to put to death, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be that from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the answer is yes. Yes, God is always righteous, God is always good, God is always just. Psalm 105 says, For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. And Psalm 106 says, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. He's a good God. He's a righteous God. He's not a capricious God. He's a God of perfect character. He is the definition of holiness and righteousness and justice. 
And then secondly, the second principle is that God looks out on his creation, on all that he's made with with kindness and patience and mercy. God looks out on his creation with kindness and mercy and patience. And so Psalm 145, 7 through 9 says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. Jesus put it this way. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sunrise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Think about it. You know, every day, God sends the sun over the world and there's some righteous people, there's some good people, there's some people who love God, but there are probably many more who either don't care about God or, or who who hate everything that he stands for. And yet God gives them another day of life. God sends rain for their crops. And he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. He's a good God. Uh, Paul put it this way in Acts. He said, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did good. By giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He's a good God. He created a good world. We messed it up, but he created a good world because he is a good God. Now, years ago when I was at seminary and we had to do uh, practice our preaching skills, uh, one time I heard a sermon by a young man, and he was uh, deeply zealous for his uh, Calvinism. Deeply, deeply zealous for his Calvinism. And, and, and I'm, a, I'm a Calvinist. In fact, one of the Sunday school classes I hope we'll offer, uh, hopefully in the next semester, is 10 Myths of Calvinism. And maybe you're out there and you're thinking, you know, I hear this in this church. I don't know what it is. I've always been suspicious of it. I'm not sure I, that's where I'm at. Come to the class. We're going to talk about it. But this young man was just very, very ardent in, in, his, uh, in his views and, and, and very hard views. And, and, he, and he preached so much about how God uh, emphasized that God hated sin and that, that he had created some people just to be vessels of his wrath so that he could punish punish them and judge them and and be glorified for his righteous judgment. And uh, after the sermon, Dr. Rayburn, who was the former president of the seminary and of of, of a reformed seminary uh, and uh, a man who had walked with the Lord for many years, uh, 
he came forward to critique the sermon. Now, when Dr. Rayburn would critique your sermon, you had a clue of what he thought about it because the slower he walked, the worse the sermon was, you know. The quieter he talked, the worse the sermon was. And he walked especially slow that day to the front of the room. And he spoke in a very low, deep voice. And he said, well, I'm sure there were many good things in that sermon that uh, were edifying to all of you. But he said, I want to be clear about one thing. God loves everyone. We're Calvinists. We believe in predestination, but God loves loves everyone and and he doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Ezekiel, we read, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The whole passage is wonderful. You ought to read it. Ezekiel 18, 29 through 32. In second Peter, we read the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, one of the things I don't think we're fully going to understand till we get to heaven is is the patience of God. The patience of God. That that he has put up with so much for so long from from a world that is that is so full of of sin and and just a lack of a, a, a lack of concern about truth and justice and and the things of God but he's patient he's patient he's patient not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance but I will, want, I will want to say one other thing. Romans 2, 4 says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, his goodness, his patience is meant to lead you to repentance? God wants you to see that he's patient with you. He wants you to know that he's waiting on you like the father or the prodigal son. Don't take him for granted. The invitation is there to come now, to come home, to come back to God. He's patient. But his kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. That brings me to the third principle this morning. And that is that, that because God is good, He sent his only son to die on the cross to save his people from their sins. And we get a hint of this even back in the psalm. Psalm 25 says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble in his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimony." He instructs sinners. The angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. God loved us. God is good. He didn't leave us in our helpless estate. He didn't leave us uh, to face his judgment. 
But he sent his only son to die on the cross. That whoever believes in him will not perish. But will have everlasting life. And make no mistake about it. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to be a martyr and to be a good example for us. When he died on the cross, he took the punishment that you and I deserve. He drank the cup of the wrath of God for us. We believe in grace, but we don't believe in cheap grace. The grace that is free to us was infinitely costly to Christ. And he's a good God. He's a good God. Because he died on the cross for our sins. Years ago, I was in a philosophy class in college. And I waited uh, till uh, I wasn't a philosophy major. I really wish I'd had more background in it. But I took an intro philosophy class. And the professor was one of the best professors I ever had. He described himself as a lapsed Presbyterian. But he was a great professor. He was the kind of guy who could lead a discussion And you would swear at the end of the class, he must have planned that whole thing because he just walked us exactly where he wanted us to go. But it didn't look that way. And uh, he had a good Presbyterian name, Dr. McDonald. And uh, he'd had polio as as a child, so he walked with a cane and a limp, and maybe that's why he had some some questions, some spiritual questions. Um... But he was really pounding away on the problem of evil one day. And how could a God, good God allow all these things to happen? And, and he had some great stories. And, you know, people were just going, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not, I wasn't a philosopher. And I had great respect for people who are smarter than I am. But I did raise my hand that day. And I said, but wouldn't it make a difference? If God himself came into our world and experienced what we experience, and in fact, more than we experience, and in fact, died on the cross for our sins. And his answer to me was, that's why I wish people wouldn't wait till their junior year to take this class. The bell rang and he never got back to that question. He's a good God because he loved us and he came to seek and to save that which was lost even at the cost of his life. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But one, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then our text this morning, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You're out there and you're wondering, but I don't know if God has blessed me the way... He should have. I I don't know if God's going to answer my prayers. I'm not sure that I can trust God. He, He gave his only son for you. He died on the cross for you. If he did that, do you think he's going to withhold anything from you that you really, really need? And that brings us to our fourth principle is 
that God pours out his grace and blessing on his children. God pours out his grace and blessing on his children. And the first place we see this, or one of the places we see this early in the Bible, is in Deuteronomy uh, and Exodus. And there's a story of the Exodus. God was concerned about his people and their suffering in slavery under Pharaoh. And he raised up a leader in Moses to go and be their deliverer and uh, to deliver them from their bondage. And in Deuteronomy 8, 6 through 10, we read, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land. He has given you see he didn't just bring them up out of slavery but he took them to a land of milk and honey a good land a great land a beautiful land because he's a good God and and he pours out his blessings on his people and so in Psalm 23 we read the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters psalm 31 19 and 20 oh how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind how abundant is your goodness and john puts it this way in his great prologue john 1 16 and from his fullness we have all received Grace upon grace, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Why? Because he's a good God and he pours out his blessing on his people. And I love this next verse, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us you know he doesn't just parcel out his blessings he doesn't ration his blessings he lavished us and continues to lavish us and pour out the riches of his grace upon us now you know there are some people out there that twist that and they try to turn that into a prosperity gospel. Um, but but the, the, the riches that we really need are the riches of, 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 God's, of, of God's mercy, of God's love, of God's presence, of God's power, of God's comfort, of, of a God who is with us every moment of every day, a God who hears our prayers, a God who sends his spirit to be our helper and our counselor and doesn't leave us as orphans 
And he has lavished the riches of his grace upon us. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, you know what I mean. I mean, you, you, you have these children and, and you, you know, you'd, you'd just spoil them if you could. I mean, you, you would because you love them. Do you think that God's love is any less than that? My goodness, it's far greater than that. The way he feels about you if you are a child of God. If you have received Christ and you've been adopted into his family as as his child, he's going to lavish his grace upon you. So there are four applications that I want to make this morning. Because we have a good God. Because God is good. You can be sure that he knows what's best for you. You can be sure that he knows what's best for you. And so in Psalm 34, we read, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And in Psalm 84, we read, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This is so important. This is so important, and it really applies to all of us, but I think it especially applies to young people. Because the world's going to tell you that if you follow Christ, if if you try to live a Christian life, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on so much. You know, my son has moved to Boston, and uh, and his he and his girlfriend were both accepted into the City Year program. And in God's Incredible providence. Uh, uh, One of Brian's high school classmates, in fact, his best friend from high school, graduated from the Air Force Academy this spring, got posted in Boston. And so they're rooming together up there. And uh, Leah's living with some girls that are in the City Year program. But, you know, when they first got up there and and people realize that they were a couple, you know, it's like, well, this is really quaint, but, you know, why don't you just live together? You know, and, and you know, they're, I don't have any announcement yet, but, you know, that, that's in the works, that their plan's being discussed, I think. But, uh, uh, but you know, the world's going to say, you're missing out. If you, try to, if you try to live a Christian life, if you try to live according to the Bible, you're, you're going to miss out. Well, there are some things you're going to miss out on. You're you're going to miss out on a a lot of heartache. You're going to miss out on a lot of pain. You're you're going to miss out on uh, a lot of, of bad decisions because I believe that God's word and the principles of his word are given for our good. They're the instruction manual. And no good thing does he withhold from those uh, who walk uprightly. Every perfect gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of change. When I was very young, uh, probably about 12 or 13 years old, I was in the Chattanooga Boys Choir. And I think to this day it was one of the greatest experiences in my life, particularly because I wasn't an athlete and uh, I wasn't going to ever have those kinds of experiences. But here I was in the Chattanooga Boys Choir and I, I began to learn some music and I began to learn what it was like to be in front of people and to, to sing and, and, and perform. And it was just a wonderful experience. And we got to go on tour, you know. And so my very first tour... We went to Washington, D.C. Now, I'd never been to Washington. And so we drove all day and we stayed in Baltimore or Annapolis or somewhere because we always tried to find some cheap place to stay. That's when they probably didn't have the kind of money they have now. And uh, so the next day we got up, second day, and, and it was just a sightseeing day in Washington, D.C. And so we're on the bus and we're, we're, we're traveling into Washington, D.C., and Dr. Ortlip, who we call Dr. O, uh, got up and uh, gave a devotional. And he said, you know, we, we really need to pray and dedicate this tour to God. And so he began to pray. And so we all bowed our heads and we're all praying. And that was just the longest prayer. It just went on and on and on and, and, and prayed about everything you could think of to pray. And I'm thinking... I'm missing everything. I mean, the, the Washington Monument and, the, and the, 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 the Lincoln Memorial and the White House. And I'm missing it all because we're praying on this whole day of sightseeing, you know. And so finally he finished his prayer. And, you know, he was about three rows ahead of me in the bus. And I just blurted out in my immature uh, 12 or 13-year-old uh, 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 lack of wisdom. Did we miss anything? I think everybody on the bus heard it. <laughs> And he just kind of gave me a look, you know. Did we miss anything because of the prayer? And I think that's the way we are sometimes. We're in this world and there's so many interesting things to see and do. And, 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 and we don't want to miss anything. It's like the worst thing that could happen is, is I, might, I might live here and I miss something. Something I might miss. But what I realized later maybe many years later, is in that moment, I almost missed the most important thing. I almost missed everything. Because I've been to Washington several times since then. It's a beautiful city. I love to go there. But if you miss Christ, if you miss out on knowing your Creator, if you miss out on knowing the one who died for you on the cross, you've missed everything. The world will tell you, you're going to miss something. But the Bible's very clear that, uh, that we never miss anything, that every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. The second principle is that you can be confident that God always hears your prayers. Because we have a good God, he's a God that hears your prayers. And so we read that when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And Jesus puts it this way. 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? Uh, Roberts led us in this wonderful emphasis on prayer over the past six months or so. And, and why should we pray? Why, what, what is one of, the, one of the greatest encouragements to pray? It's, it's to know that the God that we pray to is a good God. He's a good God. He loves you more than an earthly father a really good earthly father, because some of you may not have had really good earthly fathers, but God loves you like a perfect father should love his children. Because he's a good God and he longs to answer your prayers. The third principle is, because God is a good God, you can trust him in the midst of your deepest trials. Yes, you're going to have trials. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to have trials. In fact, you may have more trials. So in Psalm 31, we read, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, uh, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. There are times we have to seek out a refuge, and God is a refuge in a time of trial. Psalm 34 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many, many afflictions. Why is that? If God created a good world and he said it's very good, why do we have trials? Remember I said we messed it up? Because we sinned. Our first parents sinned. And when they sinned, we sinned in them. And it always amazes me that some people think that people are born a, a, a blank slate because it doesn't take very long for them to fill that slate up, does it? I mean, they, you know, we're sinners. And the world is broken and it's fallen and it's not the way God created it to be. And so many are the afflictions of the righteous. But we have God's promise that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Because he's a good God. He's a good God. I mentioned just a little earlier that our daughter Amy had come to live with us this spring. And many of you know the story, but some of you may not. That our daughter is uh, separated from her husband and going through a divorce. And uh, that began last spring. We got a phone call in one Sunday in March after after worship, and Amy said in a voice that you just knew it wasn't good. She said, "Can can can I come over to see you?" Well, sure. And so we were living in the apartments next door, and there was a knock on the door, and I opened the door, and Amy just fell into my arms, just sobbing from the very depths of her being like I think I'd never heard her sob before just a long long time and um, she started trying to say something but we couldn't understand anything she was saying because she was crying so hard 
But finally, I began to make out some words. And she said, Daddy, I tried. I tried so hard. I tried. And uh, what she told us was that Mark had told her he wanted a divorce and that he was going to move to New York and he didn't want her to come, which is what he did. And um, so within a few weeks, she had come to live with us and the Lord had opened the door for us to uh, rent a house that had three bedrooms because we needed more room and Brian graduated from college and he uh, came home to live with us and we had the unexpected summer and we all tried to encourage Amy and support her the best we could and she was dealing with a lot of hurt and a lot of feelings of rejection and failure But Lisa and I were just so thankful that her brother was there too. Because, I don't know about your children, but our two children were always really, really tight. Unusually tight. Rarely fought. Amy always adored her younger brother. Brian always looked up to his older sister, except now she looks up to him. And uh, so we were there in the house and they listened to music together and they went to movies together and they went out and got pizza together. And they talked late into the night, long after Lisa and I had gone to sleep. And we could just watch the healing going on. They were just like two teenagers back in the house again. And we could just see that God was just soothing the hurt, soothing the wound, and the healing began. And and then it was time for Brian to go to Boston But by then, Amy was in her master's program at Covenant, and she developed a support group of old friends and new friends and professors at Covenant, and and she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. But Lisa and I will always look back at this time in our lives as one of the most remarkable providences of God, that when our daughter needed us for one of the greatest crises of her life, He put us here. He put us here. And we were able to to be there for her. And it's one of the ways that we know in a very personal way God is good. God is good. He'll be with you one way or another in your deepest trials. And finally, the the fourth application is that you can know, because God is good, you can know That if you trust in Him for your salvation, if you trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be with Him for all eternity. Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in Ephesians 2, 7, we read, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable 
riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Revelation 19.9 describes the marriage supper of the Lamb. But I really like the way Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 25. On the mountain, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Why should you turn away from the things of the world and commit your life to Christ? Because God is good. How can you be sure that he hears and will answer your prayers? Because God is good. How can you trust God to get you through the deepest trials of your life? Because God is good. How can you know that you will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb and that one day you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Because God is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is good all the time. All the time. Let us pray. Father, you are a good God. You are a great God. You are a merciful and patient and kind and generous God. Help us never to believe the lie of the world that we'll miss anything by following you. Help us to trust you, to know that you want what's best for us, that you will pour out your blessing on your children, that from the fullness, from your fullness, we have received grace upon grace and that you long to lavish the riches of your grace on your children help us to remember help us never to forget that you're a good god in jesus name we pray amen